Let's turn our Bibles to Acts 13 as we continue to make our way through the book of Acts and looking at Paul's uh, missionary, his first missionary journey with, with Barnabas. We began uh, looking at that several weeks ago and we're placing an emphasis on missions as we come to this part of the story of Acts, trying to, trying to think through how that relates to our church. It's been a great uh, last few weeks of, of hearing from some of our, our missionary partners. We'll be doing that again at the, uh, toward the end of service this morning. As you turn to Acts 13, I just want to take a moment and, and highlight our, our Sunday school ministry that's going to begin again in two weeks. So next week is the 4th of July weekend, and then after that we're going to begin our, our Sunday school classes again. And I just want to encourage you to, be, to consider being a, a part of that. Several people who are new to our church have asked me about our Sunday school ministry. Uh, the Sunday school ministry is uh, for all ages. And so we have things for the very young children, and we also have three adult Sunday school classes for, for grown-ups as well. And so uh, be sure to, to kind of check out information about those three Sunday school classes on our website. You don't have to RSVP. Uh, someone asked me about that. You don't have to RSVP to attend them. Uh, every, about every 12 weeks, we offer three new Sunday school classes, so these each class goes for about... 12 weeks. This, this next iteration is going to be an eight-week course, I think, because obviously we're a little off on our schedule due to the, the changes and the, the difficulties of the times we've been ministering in this year. But the three classes that begin in two weeks for adults are, one, a Making Conversations Gospel-Centered. That's going to be taught by, by Pastor Ben in room 101A. That's that just that first room that you'll encounter as you come in our front entrance and turn to the right. And then uh, the second class is going to be in this room, thinking biblically about God and God's Word. That's going to be taught by Pastor Kent and uh, Neil Gerber. So that's going to be, again, in this room. And this, this room is going to have the ability for um, some social distancing if, if that's something that you desire. So you can come to the, the 9 o'clock class in here. And then the third class is uh, studying Philippians that uh, Wayne Layman is teaching, and that's going to be in just, if you walk out of this, the worship center, it's the Sunday school class to your right, okay? And so again, I want to encourage you to be a part of that. It's a great discipleship opportunity, a great time to get to know people and, and talk about God's word and his truth together, and encourage you all to consider, again, being a part of that. This morning, again, we are in the book of Acts, and I, I met several new people this morning, or people who hadn't been here in a while, and so I, I know Maybe, uh, maybe you're a little bit um, not quite sure where we are as a church. Many of you, as you, you come in this morning. So let me just kind of give you a, a little bit of, a, of an overview. We've been talking about the beginning of the church in the book of Acts. The, we talked about the mission of the church, what the church exists to do. And as we come into Acts chapter 13, we're encountering Paul and Barnabas on their first missionary journey. And so we've been talking about missions. And Last week, we were on the island of Cyprus as Paul and Barnabas and John Mark ministered there. And this morning, we're beginning to see John Mark and uh, Paul and Barnabas leave Cyprus and go into uh, what's today modern-day uh, southern Turkey. But before we kind of keep going with them in that ministry, we're just going to focus on verse 13 this morning and see what happens to John Mark and kind of apply that to, to us and to our missionaries as we think about this task of missions that we've been thinking about. So I'm going to read 
verse 13 this morning, but I'm going to kind of read some surrounding verses too to give us a little bit of the context. And so if you're able to, if you stand with me in honor of God as we read his word together. I'll begin here in verse 12 as Paul and Barnabas and John Mark are in Cyprus in the city of Paphos. It says, verse 12, the proconsul believed when he saw what had occurred, for he was astonished at the teaching of the Lord. That's there on Cyprus and Paphos. And it says, verse 13, now Paul and his companions set sail from Paphos and came to Perga in Pamphylia. And John left them and returned to Jerusalem. Verse 14, but they went on from Perga and came to Antioch and Pisidia. And on the Sabbath day, they went into the synagogue and sat down. After the reading from the law and the prophets, the rulers of the synagogue sent a message to them saying, Brothers, if you have any word of encouragement for the people, say it. You may be seated. Next week, we'll see what Paul said, Lord willing. But Father, this morning as we look here at your word and we look at verse 13 and we think about missions and missionaries, those who have been entrusted with this special ministry of proclamation of the gospel of Jesus Christ to the nations, we pray first as a church that you would help us to be faithful in this ministry. We are rejoicing over the past few weeks at the missionaries that you've entrusted to our care. Father, help us to be good stewards of these, these precious saints. Raise others up from, from our church to, to be involved in the proclamation of your gospel to all people, all nations, and please raise them up according to your, your power. And then help us, uh, Father, to think about our own ministries, too, and to be, be faithful in that to which you've called us. Open your word to us this morning, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, again, uh, we're, we're here in the book of Acts, and we, very first week that we're in the book of Acts, and last week we talked about what is the mission of the church. It's revealed to us in this book. The mission of the church, the, the primary mission of the church we talked about last week is to make disciples, the, the great commission. Our, our purpose statement as a church is we exist to glorify God as we proclaim Jesus Christ as Lord and prepare his people to worship him forever. Our, our primary mission is, is discipleship, preparing people to engage in worship of God forever as we proclaim the name of Jesus Christ. Last week, we also talked about two definitions. If that's our, our primary mission as a church, what is missions and who are missionaries? Remember, here are the two definitions we looked at. One was missions. We saw that missions is not just anything that a church might do. There are a lot of things that we might do as a church, a lot of ministries we might engage in. But in, in terms of what missions is, missions is the unique, deliberate gospel mission of the church to make disciples of all the nations. Missions is evangelism that takes the gospel across ethnic, linguistic, and geographic boundaries and gathers churches and teaches them to obey everything Jesus commanded. That's from Andy Johnson's book entitled Missions, How the Local Church Goes Global. We talked about that task last week. This morning we're going to talk more about missionaries. And here's the definition we gave last week of missionaries. A missionary is, is a person, it's someone identified and sent out by local churches to make the gospel known and to gather, serve, and strengthen local churches across ethnic, linguistic, or geographic divides. So you see there, that's 
Who is the person? It's a person identified by the church. What's their, 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 their goal? What's to go from one local church and, and make the gospel known to others as they go across ethnic, linguistic, geographic divides? And what are they doing? They're gathering people to, to know the Lord, to hear the gospel and to respond to it. That's the task of a missionary. Now, who are these mysterious missionaries in terms of, of who they are as, as people? Uh, maybe you, you had this experience. Maybe you grew up in the church. Maybe you didn't. But if you, you grew up in the church, you probably went to a church where at times missionaries would come and speak and talk to you. I can remember being a, a little kid and, and missionaries would come and they'd speak to our Sunday school class or something. And, and in my mind, missionaries were like these really, there were these really courageous bold people. They were also a little weird sometimes, but that's who they were. That was my stereotype. A little weird, but courageous, bold people who would, would share the gospel. And I can remember meeting them and talking to them, and they would tell me about these extraordinary things they were doing. They would wear sometimes these weird clothes. They would sometimes give us these weird things. Like one time a missionary brought worms for us to eat, and uh, I remember eating the worm and thinking, okay, this is not for me. Um, this, I, I cannot do this. This is not the, the ministry God would, would call me to do. And the missionaries would say things like, oh, we're just like you. And I'd think in my head, you are lying. Um, <laughs> you're not. You're, you're, maybe you don't know that you're lying, but you're lying. I, you are someone way different than me. And I, feel, I felt bad about it. I felt bad that I, I wasn't as, as bold as they were, and it sold out as, as much as they were to the gospel, but there it was. I knew I could never do what they were doing. Now, what's the problem with that stereotype of, of missionaries? Well, one problem is, is that it, it fails to recognize that all of us are called to be completely and fully sold out to discipleship and following after the Lord, com- completely. It also is a problem because it can cause us to not recognize that our, our missionaries really are just like you and me in terms of, of the fact that they are people who need God's grace and his sustaining grace in their lives to be able to fulfill the mission that they've been called by God to do and set out by the church to do. In other words, if we think of missionaries as these, these people who are, are super spiritual and, and way beyond our capabilities, it's going to cause us to not care for them in the way that we should as a church, recognizing the, the needs that they have like, like all of us. In the text this morning that we're looking at, we encounter this, this guy, John Mark. And John Mark is like you and me. He, he is a person entrusted with a mission and at points, in that calling, he fails, and fails in some significant ways. He is like you and me. God, in his grace, works with John. The reality is missionaries are people like John Mark. And before we get into the real meat of the, the message this morning and kind of talk about some points from verse 13, let's just talk a little bit about who John Mark is as as we come to verse 13, just give a little bit of a, a background here. Do you, do you remember, well, first of all, do you remember why we call him John Mark? Oftentimes in the text, we'll call him John. Sometimes in the New Testament, it calls this guy Mark. 
why do we call him John Mark? Well, remember in chapter 12, when we were introduced to John Mark, it tells us that uh, the, the church was assembled at his mother's house. It says they were at the house of, of Mary, the mother of John, who was also called Mark. So we call him John Mark. John was his Jewish name. Mark was his, his Roman name. And it's interesting, throughout the New Testament, sometimes he's called John, sometimes he's called Mark. And it's interesting the, context is in which he's, the contexts in which he's called either John or called Mark. Uh, what else do we know about John Mark as we come to verse 13? We also know that John Mark probably came from a wealthy family. Remember again, chapter 12, the church or the believers are gathered there at his mother's house, and so she had a, a house that was big enough to, to uh, house people and to allow this gathering to take place, and she may have been a widow, so he, he probably came from a, a wealthy family, and he's, he's there from Jerusalem. That's where his, his mom lives. How did he become a Christian? How did he hear the gospel and respond to it? Well, Again, we don't know for sure, but it, it is most likely that he was there in Jerusalem and heard the gospel from Peter. Remember, Peter is, is pre- proclaiming the gospel there in Jerusalem, and many Jews respond to that gospel message. John Mark is probably one of the Jews who responded to the gospel as Peter proclaimed it. In fact, we're going to see this very close to Peter. In 1 Peter chapter 5, Peter calls Mark his son, and, and maybe he's, he's saying there, he's his spiritual son. He's a person who responded to the gospel that I proclaimed. And so John Mark and Peter have a very close relationship. John Mark also has a close relationship with Barnabas. We've encountered Barnabas throughout the book of Acts. John Mark is Barnabas's cousin. Read that in Colossians. John Mark is Barnabas's cousin, so keep that in mind as we go through the book of Acts. And Look at how Barnabas and, and Mark respond to one another. John Mark is in Jerusalem, and remember in chapter 11, Barnabas and Paul take a gift to the church in Jerusalem, and when they come back to Antioch, it says that they bring John Mark with them, and then when they're in Antioch, as they're sent on this first missionary journey, they, John Mark accompanies them, and last week as we were in chapter 13, we saw that John Mark was helping them. He was assisting them, it says in verse 5 of chapter 13. So he was probably helping them. Maybe he was like carrying the scrolls or something. He was helping disciple new believers. John Mark is essential to this ministry that Barnabas and Paul are involved in. And now we come to verse 13, and we're going to encounter John Mark's failure here in this verse. And we see he's like, again, any of us. Uh, Paul would say in 2 Corinthians 4 that we have this incredible treasure, the the gospel of the glory of Jesus Christ, who's the the image of God. So we have this incredible incredible treasure within us, but it's like this treasure is is encompassed in what? what? What are we? We're these, Paul says, jars of clay. We're these common earthen vessels. That's Mark. He, like all of us, is a common earthen vessel. He's weak, like all of us. And yet, by God's grace within him, that the treasure of the gospel of the glory of Jesus Christ resides. Here's, here's the central idea I want us to think about this morning as we look at this verse. God uses weak vessels to proclaim 
the glorious truths that transform idolaters into Christ-exalting worshipers. God does a very gracious thing as we think about missionaries and we think about our own ministries as well. God uses weak vessels, jars of clay, earthen vessels. He uses these weak vessels of, of no account, of easily breakable. He uses these weak vessels, and what does he do? Within them, he, he contains the gospel, a gospel message that proclaims glorious truths that take idolaters, idolaters like you and me, those who worship uh, the, the lust and, and greed and are, are consumed with pride, idolaters. He takes, this, he takes earthen vessels, and he, he goes to idolaters, and, and he allows us as weak vessels to proclaim the glorious truths truths of his son to these idolaters. And what happens? God, in his incredible, infinite, unfathomable wisdom, uses weak vessels to turn idolaters, as they proclaim this gospel message, to, to turn idolaters into to Christ-exalting worshipers. It's beyond our comprehension. Only God could do something like this. That's what he does with Mark. It's what he does with missionaries. It's what he does with us. What I want us to do as we look at this verse this morning is to be prepared as a church to, to support and send out earthen vessels, those who carry a treasure. And then I also want us to stir up, to, to stir up this morning our, our souls as we might think about ourselves being missionaries. And, and oftentimes people ask themselves the question, well, how do, I, how do I know that God might be calling me to be a missionary? And that's a good question to ask. Let me encourage you this morning to also ask this question. So don't just ask, how can I be confident that God is calling me to be a missionary? I would encourage you to ask this question this morning. How can I be confident that God is not calling me to be a missionary? In other words, I want you to, to think about this question very deeply today. How can, I be, how can I be sure that God is not calling me to this ministry? Perhaps God indeed is calling me to, to engage in this ministry. H how do I know that he's not? Think through that with me this morning if you would. I want to talk about John Mark, this earthen vessels, to see ourselves in him. We're going to talk about a couple things. We're going to talk about why we might abandon the mission like John does here, like Mark does here. I want us to talk about what happens when we fail, what happens in John Mark's story. And then in light of all that, how do we care as we think about this, this emphasis on missions in our church these weeks, how do we care for missionaries in light of our weaknesses? So first of all, let's talk about this. Why we abandon the mission, why we might abandon the mission to which God has called us to. Look, look again at the text. Paul and his companions, it says, set sail from Paphos. So Paphos is there on the island of Cyprus. It's the first place they've gone in the missionary journey. And as they leave Paphos and Cyprus, they, they sail about 170 miles, and they arrive on the, the southern coast of what is today modern Turkey. And what happens? It says, as they arrive there in, this, in per, the city of Perga, in the region of Pamphylia, again, that's modern-day Turkey, it says, John left them. John left them. Now, that word left, we need to understand that the word that Luke uses there doesn't describe just like a, a casual leaving in, in this context. It's not like he, John, was, John Mark was in a room, and then he kind of left it and went to a different word, a different room. The word that Paul that Luke uses here describes a, a departure, a, an abandoning. 
let me give you some other verses. It's used two other verses in the New Testament. Here's two other verses in which this word that Luke uses here in verse 13 is used. One is in Luke chapter 9. It says that the father is describing what happens to his son when he is, uh, when he is controlled by the spirit. It says a spirit seizes him and he suddenly cries out. It, it convulses him so that he foams at the mouth and shatters him and will hardly leave him. It's that same word, leave, like the, the spirit won't depart from him. It won't separate itself from my son. And I, I want there to be this separation. I want to, to leave him, to, to abandon him. Jesus would use the same word in Matthew chapter 7. Jesus says that he's going to say this to those who are wicked. He says, I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me. Leave me. It's that same word. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. Here I am. Here you are. There needs to be a separation between us because you are not of me. That's the word that Luke uses here in verse 13. Here's Paul. Here's Barnabas. They're continuing in this work, but what does John Mark do? He, he departs. He leaves. He separates himself from them. He is no longer a part of the work that Paul and Barnabas are engaged in. He has abandoned it, and he's abandoned them. The question is why? Why would Mark leave here? Luke Luke doesn't give us all the details here, does he? That's obviously purposeful. Perhaps Luke wants us to see that this could be any of us. People have speculated, based upon some of the things that are in the text here and and surrounding the story of of John Mark, they've speculated. I want to talk about some of the reasons that John Mark might have left, and these are all biblical reasons that describe other circumstances in which we might abandon the mission to which God has called us. And we don't know for certain which reason or if there's other reasons that John Mark leaves here, but, but I think they're, they're helpful for us to think, think about. One, John Mark could have left, just one, because of immaturity, right? He could have just been an, an immature believer here. He's a, he's a young guy, and as, as he thinks about this, this ministry and he thinks about being home, he's like, you know what, I, I, I can't keep doing this. I, I, I can't keep in continuing on this, this mission Remember, Paul would tell Timothy in 1 Timothy chapter 3 not to select people who are new to the faith, recent converts, to become elders. There needs to be proven maturity. In the Gospel of Luke, Jesus gives some really strong words of how, how difficult the road of discipleship is. In Luke chapter 9, it's, it says that Jesus and his disciples are going along the road, and someone said to him, Hey, I'm going to follow you wherever you go. And Jesus said to him, Foxes have holes and birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. He's helping him understand, look, this is the difficult road of of following after me in discipleship. Another, Jesus says, follow me, but the person says, well, I want to go first and bury my father. And Jesus says, look, this this is how difficult discipleship is. He says, leave the dead to bury their own dead, but as for you, go and proclaim the kingdom of God. Another said, I'll follow you, Lord, but first let me say farewell to those at my home. And Jesus said to him, no one who puts his hand to the plow and looks back is fit for the kingdom of God. This is how difficult discipleship is. And a person who's young in the faith or or just young chronologically in terms of age may not understand the depth of discipleship to which Jesus calls them. 
No one, Jesus says, who puts their hand to the plow, who begins the work and turns back, abandons it, is fit for the kingdom of God. I've shared my own interaction with this verse in a very personal way um, before, but I'll share it again. Whenever I was uh, much, somewhat younger and newer in ministry, I was going through a a tough time, and I I was much like John Mark here. I I thought, you know what, Um, man, Peoria, it's a rough crowd. I'm, I'm, I'm leaving. I'm going back to the, the sweet place of Texas, you know. Go back to, to mom and dad, and we'll just kind of regroup there. Ministry is just so tough in this, this, uh, this, this harsh climate of central Illinois. And so I, I it was winter. Uh, so <laughs> I've told you this before. I, I walk into Pastor Rich's office at their Bethany Baptist Church, and Pastor Rich is reading a book, and I, I'm the youth pastor on staff. I said, well, Rich, um, you know what? I, this, is just, this is just tough. I'm not doing a great job here. Uh, nobody likes me. I'm, I'm, I'm going back to, to Texas, I think, and just regroup. And he doesn't even look up from his book and says, well, whoever puts his hand to the plow and looks back isn't fit for the kingdom of God. <laughs> go back to my office now, right? So, yeah. It's immaturity, right? There's just some, some young, immature things, and all of us have, have to grow. A part of maturity, part of maturity is, is grasping the depth of the call to discipleship. And saying, okay, this is continually understanding, okay, this is what it means to, to lay down my life. Th- this, is, this is what it means to renounce all that I have to, to be Jesus' disciple, as Jesus would say in Luke chapter 14. Listening uh, recently to this last week to a podcast about the, the rise and fall of, of Mars Hill. That's the, the name of the podcast. And the, they mentioned that implosion of that church and talk about other churches that, that have imploded in just this last uh, 10 or 15 years. And they said, you know, there's, there's a lot of celebrity pastors that have imploded, but there's a lot of smaller, mid-sized churches that we don't even know about. And one person on the podcast who's, who's talking about the reason for this ta- talked about how we live in the Internet age, Right? And many, many pastors who have gifts of, of speaking and uh, charisma and presence became popular way, more, way, way sooner than their, their maturity level was ready for. And th- they said something I thought was very true. There's a body count, this person said, there's a body count of young pastors whose ability rose them to prominence before their character was ready for it. That's true for all of us, right? We need maturity. Perhaps that's what happens to John Mark here. Here, Here's another thing that might have happened, though. Another thing might have just been discouragement. Number two, discouragement. Remember, you think about Elijah in 1 Kings chapter 19, where Elijah is is like, he's ready to give up. And and maybe that's what's happening with, with John Mark here. Like Elijah, who says, God, just take me home. I'm ready to die because I'm no better than anybody else. I'm no better than my ancestors. Just, just take me home. And, and maybe that's what happens with John Mark here. Look, I'm, I, I just can't continue this ministry. This is a tough ministry. I mean, Cyprus was bad, and I, I have you know, my cousin Barnabas is from there. What's, what's this area going to be like? Is I get ready to head into Galatia. This is, I, I can't do this. Discouragement. Or maybe number three, maybe there's just deficient doctrine. That can hinder us in ministry too, right? Maybe there's deficient doctrine. John Mark is, is from Jerusalem, right? His cousin is Barnabas. 
the other person in the New Testament that we see that he's, he's very close to is, is Peter. And do you remember what, what's going on in Barnabas and Peter's life at, at this point in the New Testament? Like many Jews, Barnabas and Peter are struggling to, to figure out how Jewish does a new convert to Christianity need to become in order to truly be a Christian and a disciple of Jesus? Paul tells us in Galatians chapter 2, both Barnabas and Peter get it wrong for a period of time. Acts 15 is coming, they'll get all straightened out, but for a period of time, th- th- they're not quite sure. And maybe that's happening with John Mark here as well. He's like, whoa, 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 what, what about teaching these people who've just converted about Judaism and all these types of things, and, and, and maybe there's some deficient doctrine that causes him to, to, to fail in the mission here, abandon the mission. Another possibility, another possibility is just love of the world, and this, this isn't all encompassing. This isn't all the reasons we might abandon the mission, but maybe that's happening here too. The deeds of the flesh, pride, lust, greed, all these might cause a person to, to turn away from the mission to which God has, has called them. Maybe John Mark arrives there on the coast, Pamphylia, and says, you know what, I, 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 miss, I miss home. Mom's got a nice house. Jerusalem, I, I'm, I'm comfortable there. Guys, I'm sorry, I'm out of here, and he, he goes back. I, I don't know. I don't know. Here's the interesting thing. All of these things, immaturity, discouragement, deficient doctrine, love of the world, all of these things will ruin a person apart from the grace of God. Not just a missionary, any of us. Determined immaturity, a failure to to look to God and instead to look at ourselves to become discouraged, deficient doctrine, love of the world, our, our pride, our flesh, lust, all of these things potentially will dis- destroy our, our faith or reveal that our, our faith was not genuine. Over the past 20 years that I've been in ministry, there are many missionaries, many pastors, many fellow workers who began down this road and, and did not continue in the faith b- because of these or, or other reasons. And we, and we all know stories like that, right? But here's what I want to encourage you with. I know far more stories of people who for a moment in time abandoned the mission and then by God's grace, although they were momentarily guilty of these failings, God brought them to repentance and then further growth. Paul would say this to his young friend Timothy in 1 Timothy 4.16, keep a close watch, watch carefully yourself and the teaching. Watch your life and your doctrine. Persist in this, for as you do that, you will save both yourself and your hearers. Now, this is not unique to missionaries. Brothers and sisters, we need to grasp the difficulty of the Christian life and our need for God's constant care and provision. We are all, every person in this room who had professed the gospel that said, okay, I've placed my faith in Jesus Christ alone for my salvation. We are all Every single person, we are just a few small steps from spiritual ruin. And it is the grace of God and the grace of God only that keeps us from from falling away from the faith. 
that includes our missionaries. We are asking our missionaries, we need to, to grasp the difficulty that we're, of the ministry to which God has called them. We're asking them to do the impossible. We're saying, look, abandon the things that you love here, become a part of, the, of another culture, and persuade people within that culture to hear and believe the gospel. That's silliness. It's silliness to try to ask a person to do that, but that is the power of God. Each of these things are difficult on their own, much less when put together. We need to be sober-minded and fearful of the mission that God has called us to, and particularly the mission that he's called our missionaries to. That's why we abandon the mission at times. Number two, let's talk about what happens when we fail. Number two, what happens when we fail? Look Look at what verse 13 tells us. It says, John left them and returned to Jerusalem. Verse 14, but they went on from Perga and came to Antioch and Pisidia. And then it continues and it continues and it continues. There's, there's two things I want you to notice about what happens when we fail. Number one, God continues his mission. John Mark was, was integral. Uh, Paul is, is none too happy with what happens with his, his young friend John Mark. And, and later, we're going to see in chapter 15, Whenever Barnabas says, hey, let's go on the second, or Paul says, let's go on the second missionary journey, and Barnabas says, yeah, 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 let's bring John Mark. Paul's like, are you kidding me? That's the guy that abandoned us. The interesting, God continues his mission. The the first missionary journey doesn't shut down because of one person. But the other thing that I I want you to, to notice is, number two, God restores his children. God restores his children. What does God continue to do through Mark? We're going to talk more about Mark's story as we continue the the book of Acts, but let me just kind of give you a little bit of a a preview, spoilers, if you will, right? You've read the Bible before. You know how it ends. God wins, and he wins in John Mark. I, I think John Mark was clearly in the wrong here, right? But there are several things that point to his restoration, First, the fact that in Acts 15, Barnabas says, let's bring John Mark. Barnabas was there here. Barnabas was there in verse 13 as well. He knows what John Mark did. And yet, post-Jerusalem council, post what happens at the beginning of chapter 15, Barnabas says, John Mark's our guy. John Mark has proved faithful. Second thing that points to his restoration is, is that Peter thinks so highly of him. First Peter chapter 5, he calls him again his son in the faith. A tradition tells us, and I think there's good reason to believe this, that John Mark is the author of the Gospel of Mark, and he worked closely with Peter as he, as he wrote that Gospel. So that's a pretty good sign, right? But even, even more sweetly, Paul and Mark have their relationship restored as well. It's, it's 15 years after verse 13, and... Paul mentions in two letters that John Mark is with him, Colossians and Philemon. He he mentions that Mark is is with him. And then at the very end of his life, 20 years later, writing 2 Timothy, just shortly before he's executed, what, what does Paul say to Timothy? He says, bring Mark to me. And then he says, for he is very useful to me for ministry. How beautiful is that? 
here's this, this person who fails, but in God's grace, he's, he's restored to Paul, and he is a person of great use. None of us are adequate for the ministry of missions. We have this, this view, and uh, one of our persons who, who shared earlier this morning in Sunday School Hour mentioned this, you know, there's this perfect idea of what, what a missionary is, has all of these things and does all these things and, and, and can accomplish all these things, but, but none of us are there, right? None of us are adequate for the perfection to which God calls. All of us are our mark, aren't we? Maybe that seems scary that God might call you to missions, but I, in his grace, in his grace, God accomplishes in our lives what is necessary for us to do the ministry to which he's called us. God continues his mission. The foundation of, of your faith, the, the person who's, who's ministering to you falls in some ways. The foundation of our faith is not the, the faithfulness of fallen men, but the faithfulness of our Heavenly Father. That's God continuing his mission and God restoring his children. So let's talk about then this last thing here. In light of our weakness and in light of the reality that the the missionaries that we select and encourage and and, and lift up, that that they're weak as well, how then do we we minister in in light of of that weakness? How, How do we deal with that reality? And how do we care for our missionaries in light of our weaknesses? And that's something as we kind of close this three weeks, I, I want us to think about it. And there's, there's three things that I, I want to talk about what we do in light of the fact that the missionaries are jars of clay and we ourselves who are supporting them are jars of clay. A c- couple things. One, l- let's talk about in light of that how we select our missionaries. How do we select the people that, that God is, is sending out to proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ? If you asked any one of our elders or any of our missions committee, hey, do we have the opportunity to support some really good people? They would tell you, yeah. The problem is not that we need to try to find really good people. The problem is that there are, are so many great ministry opportunities to h- how to select and, and pick the ones that are, that are the best for our church to be supporting and, and sending. That's the tricky thing. And, and let me just share with you a couple of things that we look at, kind of five things that we look at as we select our missionaries. The, the first thing that we're looking at is, is doctrinal alignment. Do, do we agree with them doctrinally? Do we have the same understanding of, of the, the key doctrines of the faith? That's, that's an obvious one, right? But we're also looking at philosophical alignment. Our, our friend, as he was sharing this morning in the Sunday School Hour, talked about how uh, he, was, he and his wife were looking for a, a place to minister in they were trying to find a place that had the same belief they did about the importance of the local church, that the, the task of a missionary is to strengthen and establish local churches, to be involved in church planting and church strengthening. That's our philosophy as well. And just as our, our friend shared this morning, that it's hard for them to find a, an opportunity that matched with their philosophy. Sometimes it's difficult for us as well to find those workers who are going to be focused on church planting and church strengthening. So that's, that's the second thing we look at. Uh, a third thing that we looked at, look at is ministry alignment. Is, is the ministry that this person who's coming to us talking about it, a ministry that we're excited about? C- can, we, can we capture a vision? Of, okay, I see how God could use this ministry to strengthen and establish the local church. 
and then a fourth thing is is do we recognize do we recognize the giftedness of this missionary to engage in this ministry sometimes uh, p- people have come to us and said look this is the ministry this is my philosophy this is the my doctrine We're like yeah all that's great but your your giftings may not match this ministry that you're excited about and and sometimes there's some tough conversations you have to have right say hey you know what god is going to use you but not here probably right and and sometimes we've been wrong on that but but um not always right so there's a there's a ministry giftedness we, we look at do you have this ability to, to do the ministry that that god is calling you to do and, and the, the fifth thing that we look at is just a is there going to be a relationship that we can have with you are we going to be able to 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 partner with you in a way that our church can be encouraged by your ministry and you can be encouraged by our church and one of the things we've we've had to wrestle with over the last uh, six years or so is okay as we are part of a uh as we're part of this, this larger church ministry, kind of partnering with several other churches, how do we, how do we keep some of the, the, the good things about that partnership and then at the same time also say, okay, we are a local church and we want to have a relationship with the missionaries that we are supporting. That's, that's a challenge and it was a, it's been a great growth process for us to think about how to do that. So that's how we select missionaries. And in just a few moments, uh, once the once the live stream goes down, not, not yet, but in a little bit, I'll, I'll talk about three new missionaries that we as a church are beginning to support this, this year. Let's talk about this before we do that, though. Number two, how do we prepare missionaries? And, and again, my hope would be that this morning you're asking yourself the question, not how do I know that God is calling me to missions, but at least this morning you're asking the question, well, how do I know that God is not calling me to missions? And I, my other encouragement to you this morning would be, if you're asking yourself that question and you're thinking through, well, I have some thoughts that maybe God is calling me to missions, that you would not keep that to yourself, not hide it under your bushel, no, but instead say, you know, I, I want to talk to someone about that, right? I, I'm going to talk to my care group leader or an elder or one of the, one of the um, uh, people in my, my, that's discipling me. You say, well, okay, if, if I do want to think about that, how do I, how can I be prepared? How can I protect myself against immaturity and deficient doctrine and discouragement and just the love of the world? The answer is we can't perfectly protect ourselves, right? It's an ongoing struggle that every one of us has. But there's a couple things that we do as a church. If you come to us and say, hey, I'm, I'm thinking about missions, what next? There's a couple things that we, that we do. Is we, we, we disciple you, and there's a couple components to that discipleship. One is just a, a, um, a relational discipleship. We let you get to know that the people who would be laying hands on you and supporting that ministry, we, we have you spent time with the elders and other people in the missions committee. There's also not just a relational component, but a discipleship component. We're having you read some things and say, okay, here's, here's Let the Nations Be Glad. What, what, do, what do you think about this book? Or, or here's a book for the sake of his name. What, what do you think about the content of this book, and, 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 and tell me about the type of ministry that God might be calling you. How are you gifted? And so there's a discipleship component. And then thirdly, there's a ministry component. As I've mentioned before, sometimes people say, you know what, I, I feel really excited about missions. I, I want to go, I want to, go to this, this place in the Middle East with a language I don't know and a culture I have no familiarity with, and I, I want to share the gospel with people. And you say, well, who are you sharing the gospel with now? Nobody, but once I get there, huh, 
I'm going to be on fire. Well, let's, let's slow down a little bit, right? Let's, let's have you have a ministry now that engages meeting with people from different cultures and sharing the gospel, learning how to, to navigate that. And let's, let's give you more and more ministry responsibility before we just throw you in the deep end of the pool, right? And then there's also, in our discipleship and preparing a missionary, there's also an educational component. You want to strengthen a local church, but you don't have any theological training. Well, let's talk about what sort of training we can help you, help you acquire in order to do the ministry that God has called you to do. At Bethany Community Church, let me just be very, very clear. It's a high bar before we send a person out to do missions because of how dangerous this ministry is. But at the same time, our commitment to those that have a desire to go on the mission field, not only are we going to make the bar high, but we are going to do everything in our power to help you achieve it, right? Last thing I want us to think about this morning before we bring up our friends. Number three, how we support our missionaries. All ministry is tough. Our our missionaries are not super spiritual people who don't understand the need for the grace of God, right? And yet, there are some unique dangers that we're, we're placing these men and women in. You need to be, as if God does not call you to the mission field, you need to be on the front lines of supporting these men and women and their families that we have placed in harm's way. You have a spiritual culpability. We have a spiritual culpability to be caring for these brothers and sisters and their, their precious little ones, right? Amen? Amen? We have a call to be financially supporting them. There's a story in the missions book that we've referenced several times. It talks about the the missions closet. And the missions closet was where they sent the missionaries to grab anyone's old junk that they didn't want anymore, right? That's not how we treat our our missionaries. Uh, Our goal is is to provide them with with all the the needs that God would have them have met as they go on the mission field of which they're calling. We need to be involved in, in prayer. You need to be faithful to be writing down our, our missionaries and how you can pray. And this is how chapter 13 begins. The, the book of Acts does not exist without the power of God being worked through his people. That is the glorious truth of our support of, of these folks. It's coordinated, intentional care on the part of our missions committee, working with our care groups, working with our people to care for these, these precious ones. Missionaries, by God's grace, are, are no different than you or me. And my, my prayer would be that missionaries would be you and me as we come to the, the end of this emphasis this morning. I encourage you again, tell someone about your, your thoughts, if God may be calling you in this direction. God uses weak vessels to proclaim the, the glorious truths that transform idolaters into Christ-exalting worshipers. Heed the call that God gives us to missions. Isaiah 26, 8, Isaiah says, Your name and renown are the desire of my heart. And at the Passions Missions Conference in the 90s, there was a 268 declaration based on Isaiah 26, 8. And the, the first statement of that declaration was this, Because I was created for God and for his glory, I will magnify him as I respond to his great love. My desire 
is to make known is to ma- is to make knowing and enjoying God the passionate pursuit of my life. My prayer would be that for this church that that desire would would consume us to make knowing and enjoying God the passionate pursuit of our ministry as a church. Let me pray and then let's let's shut down the the live stream. Father, we would ask by your your grace you would help us to achieve the, the tasks to which you've called us as a church. We pray for the, the people that you've sent out from our church, that your special hand would be upon them. You'd be gracious in preserving and protecting them. And we pray that for us as well, that we'd be encouraged by their passion to emulate that in our lives as well. Raise up men and women from among these, your saints. We pray this in 